Good afternoon, everyone. It's an honor to be here with you. This is the final lesson of what we have simply called Jesus. Next Sunday, we are going to do something that we've been wanting to do for some time, and we will, I will dedicate four Sundays to what we'll call heart attack. And um, there are four concepts that will be taught to you about that. What do I owe you? What do you owe me? What does God owe me? And what do I owe God? And those are the four, that's the cliff notes for that. But that's next week. This is now. Would you stand with me, please? I want to read one verse of scripture to you found in the book of Colossians, chapter 2 and verse 4. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. God bless you. You may be seated. Jesus, lesson number six. This, of course, could go on and on and on. How in the world are you going to exhaust this subject? There's a scripture in John. It said, the world couldn't contain the books that could be written about the stuff that he did in his ministry. So uh, I'm sure not going to, this is not going to be comprehensive and it's sure not going to be exhaustive. But it has been an attempt to walk through the scripture and today will be no different to just try to explain to you the power of words, um, particularly words that are associated with the Bible. Because um, uh, if you have a thought on your mind, um, you, you're, not gonna, you're not gonna be able to do it and convey it without words. They are the vehicle that thoughts travel on. And uh, um, you're not going to be able to convey your thoughts with uh, like, uh, uh-huh, uh, you know what I mean, or that uh, all-inclusive frustrating word from teenagers, whatever. Uh, <clears throat> um, when, uh, when you're 40 years old or your 40-year-old teenager, decides to blame you in your 60s with all of his or her problems, let me give you an answer. Just, just say, whatever, and then hang up, okay? And because uh, that's, uh, we've all heard that word many, many times. The English language is full of a lot of weird words. Um, they say the most difficult language to learn is Mandarin. Uh, Thai is probably tied with English. This is either the second or the third most difficult language in the world to learn. So there are people, of course, that go to this church and English is their second language. And um, they, that, that was a challenge for them to learn. I, I've been exposed to several other languages in my life and uh, uh, smatterings and spatterings of this and that. But um, anyone that tries to learn English as their second language, trust me, there, there are odd, amusing, and just a lot of confusing things that go on with, uh, with this language. They, they sound like one thing and they're actually referring to something else. Um, a butterfly is not a fly, it's a moth. Uh, a jellyfish is not a fish, it's a squid. Um, a dandelion isn't a lion, it's, it's a flower. And uh, a titmouse is not a mouse, it's a bird. And uh, we have dogs that are called pit bulls. They're not bulls, they're dogs. Uh, I've heard people talk about a funny bone. You don't have a funny bone, it's a nerve. And uh, a peanut is not a nut. It's, it's a bean. Uh, there, there is no ham in hamburger. Um, uh, it's just, it gets confusing. And uh, um, we, 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 uh, we've got 
crazy, crazy, crazy words. And, um, but uh, the word says, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Honey, if you have ever spent time with it, bees are fascinating creatures. And uh, um, there's a great concern right now, especially in, in the United States. Bees are dying, disappearing. And, uh, and if they do, good luck finding fruits and vegetables in your grocery store. And uh, they don't know why they're disappearing. And, uh, but uh, if you've ever studied that the comb and that six-sided cell that they build, it's, it's the perfect distribution of weight. Um, there's just so many fascinating things about bees, but honey is, is the world's perfect sweetener. Honey, honey doesn't get old. It doesn't get rancid. It, it doesn't get moldy. It's, it's sweeter than jelly. It's sweeter than cake. It's sweeter than sugar. And there's really nothing that man can do to enhance honey. All they can do is put it in a bottle and sell it to you and me. But the Bible said the words of God are sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. And uh, that's why, that's just one of many reasons why, we should obey God's word and not unbiblical words. Um, uh, there's, there's over 780,000 words in the Bible 31,000 plus verses, 1,100 plus chapters, 66 books. One amazing book to, to read, study, meditate, memorize, learn, and live by. And that's enough to keep anybody busy for a lifetime. But instead of being content with the words of God, um, there's a lot of religious people that have taken upon themselves to add what I consider unbiblical words and phrases. And uh, from the garden until the day of the apostles and even until today, there has been a, a concentrated effort to undermine the truth of the word of God and a, and a general failure to obey it. Um, uh, I, I, this this woke thing and this cancel culture that's that's surrounding us it it drives me crazy and i got to be very careful that i don't get sidetracked with all that stuff but i i have come to the conclusion that until jesus christ returns with his church and sets up a government on this earth this world is going to continue to produce unbiblical and non-god truths and it's just, they're just, it's going to be an anti-Bible, anti-God onslaught, and that is not going to change. And so I cannot let these people and these things steal my joy. And you can't either. And uh, Adam learned a powerful lesson. I, I, I've always used that scripture in Isaiah. He's declared the end from the beginning. Jesus did it. The apostles did it. Uh, um, you know, I heard a funny thing one time where someone said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the King James Bible just like Jesus did. And, um, uh, well, I got news for you. There was no New Testament. They wrote it. But what they did refer to constantly was the Old Testament. We ought to be able to prove our message from the Old Testament just like Peter did, just like Paul did, just like Jesus did. And... Um, um, but if I go back to the beginning, Adam learned a very powerful lesson when he and, and the mother of all living entertained questions that made them rethink what God said. I'll give you the cliff notes. Here's Genesis 2 and 17. God said, don't eat of the tree of the good of evil. If you eat it, you're going to die on that day. You're going to die on that day. Here's chapter 3 and verse 1. Serpent talking to Eve. Yea, 
said. You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Yep, that's what he said. Here's Eve's response. Notice, it's not accurate. Here's Eve's response to Satan. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it. He didn't say that. Lest you die. Here's the serpent's response to the woman. You're not going to die. God knows that in the day you eat this, you're going to be just like him. So, here's God speaking to Adam. Have you eaten of the tree where have I commanded you not to eat? Here's Adam's response. It was the woman. He's passing a book. I I went to sleep and woke up married. Okay? I didn't ask you for no wife. The, The woman that you gave to me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. Here's the woman's response to God. It was the snake. The serpent beguiled me and I did eat. So now here's God talking to the serpent. You're going to be cursed above all cattle. And above every beast of the field. Now here's God the woman. I'm going to multiply your sorrow. And your conception. If you've ever been there when a baby's born. Trust me. They're not playing Sudoku. It kind of goes like this. Ah! That wouldn't have happened. You know. It's like if you never went to church. If you never had a Bible. You you, you ought to just, the Bible said the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. You ought to just, Michigan in fall, man, if you can't believe in God right now, you're in trouble. I was driving this morning, it was magnificent. It was magnificent. Just this created universe. If you don't believe the Bible's true, then I want to know why you hate going to work. I want to know why every time a baby's born, it's with a lot of pain. I want to know why the bias of a garden is never towards a fruitful field. I had sod put down in my yard a couple weeks ago. I, I, yesterday, I looked, there's dandelions everywhere. I didn't plant dandelions. Where'd they come from? You don't have to plant poison ivy. You don't have to plant dandelions. There's going to be thorns and thistles. They're just going to grow up. And I don't know how you're now. They got some goofy people. But me, be he big, be he little. I hate snakes. Now some people got a thing with spiders. My thing's not spiders. I hate snakes. I just, I don't want nothing. Where'd that come from? You had man working by the sweat of your brow. A woman in great pain during conception. Just this, the whole thing about weeds. Every time you see a weed, you ought to say, garden, curse. That's where that came from. And, and it's just this, you know, God speak, because you've done this, the cur- ground's going to be cursed. Sweaty your face. That's how you're going to get your bread. Watch, this shows the trickle down and rippling effect of the danger of both altering God's word and listening to others as they add their ideas to God's instruction for us. Notice, God spoke, the man heard, the woman understood, the serpent lied, the woman believed the lie, and when the first man and woman listened to a slick-talking liar, they rethought what they already knew, As a result, the liar was cursed, the ground was cursed, the man was punished, his family suffered, he lost his home, the whole creation, including you and I, who weren't even born yet, have been groaning ever since. All because of not obeying the obvious and apparent word of God. All of this happened because of the illegitimate use of words that God never said. It's happened throughout history. Bible said, last book in in the Old Testament, even from the days of your fathers, you are gone away from my ordinances. 
Paul had some very choice words for Galatians. It's 1, 6 through 9. I'll, I'll read it in the message. I can't believe your fickleness. How easily you have turned traitor to him who called you by the grace of Christ by embracing a variant message. It's not a minor variation, you know. It's a complete other, an alien message, a no message, a lie about God. Those who are provoking this agitation among you are turning the message of Christ on its head. Let me be blunt. If one of us, even if an angel from heaven were to preach something other than what we preached originally, let him be cursed. I, I said it once, I'll say it again. If anyone, regardless of reputation or credentials, preaches something other than what you originally received, let him be cursed. That always has and still is the plan of the enemy of your soul. And since no one can explain a book like the author, I'm going to let the author speak and guide you through the use of unbiblical words. Um, let, let me talk to you about illegitimate and unbiblical. Illegitimate means illegal. And in the secular world, people go to prison. They get divorced. They are alienated from, uh, uh, because of illegitimate, illegal activities. In the church, it's called sin. Un is a prefix. It simply means it is the opposite of. It is against. So unbiblical doesn't just mean it's not in the Bible. It means it is opposed to the Bible. Don't confuse unbiblical with non-biblical. Because non means it's not in there. And if you didn't use non-biblical terms, you couldn't preach. All you could do is quote scripture. So I'm using non-biblical words today, but I'm not using unbiblical terms. Because lots of words I use today aren't in the Bible. So if you quit using non-biblical words, you, you, your vocabulary is going to be very limited. Listen, listen, here, here is Job. 38, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Here's the message. Why do you confuse the issue? Why do you talk without knowing what you're talking about? Because the key word in these next scriptures that I read to you is the concept of words, words. Here's Psalms 119 and 103. How sweet are thy words. It goes on to say, those words are a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Here's Jeremiah chapter one and verse nine. Then the Lord put forth his hand, touched my mouth. And the Lord said, behold, I have put my, my words, my words in your mouth. Jesus said in Matthew 24, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words, my words shall not pass away. He also said, it's the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Here's Colossians chapter 2 and verse 4. Lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. So Job started talking too much. And God said, who is this that's talking but can't back up what he's talking about? You read the book of Job and he starts saying all this crazy stuff. And God says, where were you? when I put a compass on the face of the deep? Where were you when I created northeast, south, and west? Where were you when I put a limit to the oceans? Where were you when the sun shone for the very first time? How do you answer questions like that? 
He's putting him in this place. You, you can't back up what you're talking about. So God touched Jeremiah and put his words in his mouth. And when people say, Pastor, I really enjoyed the word today. And I, I say, well, I enjoyed it too because I heard it at the same time you did. The real word. Not, not what Ephesians 5 and 6 refers to as vain words. Or this verse that I've read, enticing words. Or Jude, verse 16, it talks about swelling words of man's wisdom. I, my, my dad worked with a man who was a notorious cheapskate. And he had six cows. And he would try to sell six cows at the market at the fair every year. And he was too cheap to feed cows good grain and good hay. So he would wait until about three days before the auction. He would lock the gate to the farm pond and he made sure there was a massive amount of salt in whatever the cows ate. And then the day before the auction, he opened up the gate to the farm pond. And of course, they just lived there and all they did was drink all day long and got bigger. He would take them on the fourth day to the auction. People would pay top dollar for what they thought was a plump, really healthy cow, only to get it home. And two days later, it just you could count its ribs and hit it with a spoon and it sounded like a xylophone. It was, it was, that, that, that's, that's not growing, that's swelling. And the Bible talks about swelling words. You're not, you're not going to grow with them. You're just going to get bloated for a while and then go back to what you were. And there, there, are, there are so many words in the English language that, that no one knows, knows for sure how many words there really are. Every, every, at the end of every year, there's always someone or a group of someone who said, well, let's, let's uh, show you the new words that were in our vocabulary as of this past year. And, and, and uh, I, 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 ha- I have a friend who, who just got a hip replacement last week. And he said, years ago, Harold, when someone told you you were going to go to a hip new joint, he said, that was a rocking, you know, discotheque. He said, not now. He said, I got a new joint in my hip. And it's not the same thing, you know. And, and, and because English borrows from, from every other language and, and they borrow very recklessly. There, there, there are words in English that are spelled the same. But they're different words and they, they have different meanings in different parts of speech. For instance, I have a thing in my house called a buffet. It's a table by the dinner table. And that's where you put the stuff out, you know. Go over to the buffet, put it on your plate and come back to the table and eat. However, listen to this verse, 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. So here, spelled the same, but here in 2 Corinthians, buffet is a verb. It's a verb. Now, in my house, it's a noun. It's a table. But here, buffet is, 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 is a verb. And uh, uh, it's where you turn eating into a recreational sport. You know, we don't drink here in Pentecost. We fellowship. Uh, that's usually food. Um, so he's out there in the lobby, and I can get away with this. I have seen Jeff Woodworth buffet the buffet. Uh, did damage to it. Uh, we had some people that used to go to this church and they went up to Zinder's in, in uh, Frankenmuth. Eat all the chicken you want. They ate so much chicken that as they were leaving, they, made, they wanted to search the wives' purses. And one of the guys said, we'll let you search our wife's purse under one condition. If you don't find any chicken, we eat for free tonight. Guy said, done. Of course, they didn't find any chicken in the wife's purse. And the man 
simply told them, please don't ever come back here again. That's buffeting the buffet. Uh, uh, they lost money on them boys. And, uh, uh, and then, then you have words that are pronounced the same, but they're spelled differently. We, we have a word in English called two. T-O is two. T-O-O is two. T-W-O is two. Two, T-O is a preposition. T-O-O is an adverb. T-W-O is an adjective. So what do you do with tutu? Uh, See, if the plural for mouse is mice, then why isn't the plural for house heist? If the plural for ox is oxen, then why isn't more than one box called boxing? You know, if uh, I've asked people before if they, you know, words like Trinity, Eternal Son, Great Commission, Laity, Protestant, Denomination. These are words that Christian people use all the time. But if I ask them, what does justification mean? What does propitiation, about, sometimes about 50% of people know what justification means. But propitiation, forget it. The, 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 the percentage is, is minuscule. What, what, what in the world is propitiation? Let me, let me explain something very carefully. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. The phrase, the Great Commission, it's not in the Bible. Accepting Christ as your personal Savior, it's not in the Bible. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says you join the church. There's nowhere in the Bible where it talks about denominations. Uh, uh, the Lord worketh in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. It's not in the Bible. You know, I, I've heard people talk about being slain in the spirit. Uh, it's not in the Bible. And, and in many cases, it's opposed to the teachings of the Bible. Justification means just as if I had not done it. So when you're justified by God, what it's saying is don't let anybody take your past and hold you hostage because of your past. I've met people, Jesus met a man one time, said, what's your name? I think he was talking to the man. And those demons, those spirits inside him said, Legion, it's not your name, your name's Frank. You know, your name's Fred. No, Legion. I, I, I've been pastoring for a long time and I, I, it frustrates me when I meet people and in a very short of mind, amount of time, they'll tell me, uh, I just got divorced for the second time. Or uh, you, you didn't know it, but, but I'm, I'm a felon. I, I've been in prison. Or I declared bankruptcy. Well, the average millionaire has declared bankruptcy three times. And it's just like, don't allow your past to become your present identity. That's where justification comes in. And, and, and propitiation means to appropriate, which means to appease someone who's been done wrong. In this case, we did God wrong by sinning. So he has to be appropriated. That's why when you read Hebrews chapter 9, it talks about Jesus Christ went to heaven itself and offered himself. Let let, 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 let me show you what I think that means. Jesus resurrects from the grave and he meets this woman named Mary and he says don't touch me I haven't ascended yet but two days later he meets a guy named Thomas and he said handle me and see because a spirit doesn't have flesh and bone as you see me have if a lot of time, I don't know what they're doing now. They've probably, been, but for many years, there was a little piece of foil on your credit cards. 
Yeah, they still have it. I don't know if it'll, it won't show, it's too small. It's a little piece of foil. You turn it and it's blue and red and green. It's, it's called a hologram. That's the Greek word. When Jesus said, handle me and see a spirit hath not flesh and bone as you see me have. The Greek word there is hologram. In other words, they thought they could stick their hand right through him. And he said, oh no, I'm not a spirit. Touch me. I got, I got a body. I got, I got, I got flesh and, and, and I have bone. Do you get what I'm saying? Jesus met this woman and said, don't touch me. I haven't put my offering on the altar yet. I wish I had time to go through the Old Testament and show how the priest had to put that offering on the altar and all that stuff that had to be done. There's a great, in Acts chapter 2, there is this amazing verse and it says, Jesus Christ, a man approved by miracles, signs, and wonders. He's approved. What does that mean? It means somewhere between Mary and Thomas, Jesus took a trip and laid his life or the example that he lived on an altar. Examine the life lived in this flesh and see if there's a flaw. If there's no flaw in the life that flesh lived, then he is now approved. He is now approved. That's why he's the door, he's the way. He's the example because what he did is approved. But listen to this verse in 1 Peter. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God through sanctification of the spirit and unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So we're not in kindergarten here. This is, I'm teaching you a deep concept. The blood was shed on this earth so we could be justified. But that blood is sprinkled in heaven so that God could be appropriated. So because of Jesus, justification and propitiation fell in love and had a baby called sanctification. We've been justified through his blood. He's been appropriated because of that sprinkling. Because of that, now you and I can live a life separated from the world and unto him. Do you get that? My wife, with her prayer group, and many of you are in that, they're memorizing the book of Colossians. And every day, she's quoting scriptures and verses in Colossians. She said, Harold, do you remember reading this? And to be honest with you, a lot of times I say no. But when you really, I, I, I gave myself to memorization many, many years ago and started memorizing books in the Bible. And the beauty of memorization is when you, 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 you start memorizing verses and it starts, all of a sudden you get a backlog of these things inside of you and it links, oh, that reminds me of this one and that reminds me of this one. And the beauty of the book of Colossians is when you really understand the word of God, there is this awareness that comes over you. I want to be grateful and thankful for what he has. I, I, I wish I could show this. I have a dear friend named Scott Phillips who sends me amazing stuff every week. And, and I wish I would have given this to, to Matthew. But, but, but here, here is a man that... that serves on, on uh, uh, a ship in, uh, um, for Britain. And they asked him yesterday, are you proud? And he said, of course I'm proud. I'm in Her Majesty's uniform. I'm on Her Majesty's flagship and I'm doing Her Majesty's duty. Of course I'm proud. And I think we ought to be able to say that I'm in my master's uniform. I'm on the old ship of Zion. <laughs> and I'm doing my master's duty. I'm proud to look the way I do, live the way I do, act the way I do. 
I've been justified, he's been appropriated, and now I'm sanctified. I'm grateful for what God's done for me because I don't want nothing to do with this world. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. These are the kind of words you should learn. Justification, propitiation, sanctification. Because they, 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 I got someone criticized me online recently. And so what, you know, uh, Jesus wounded in the house of his friends. I, it's, it comes with the turf. The bigger frame of reference you get, the more criticizing you're going to get. Don't go to that church. That man doesn't believe the Trinity. <laughs> let, me explain, let me just be really clear here in this building and online. The Trinity is a lie. It is a monstrosity. Do you understand that? How in the world can you claim to know God and you don't understand the numerical integrity of God? It's why Jews want nothing to do with Christianity. What are you going to, we, we call it heaven. The Bible calls it New Jerusalem. What are you going to see when you go to New Jerusalem? Are you going to see an old man and a younger version of that old man with a lot of scars and a bird? A dove? You're going to see what John saw. I heard a voice. It said, come up hither. Immediately there was a door opened in heaven and one, one sat on the throne. That, that, that's Bible. I'm telling you, the Trinity is the second biggest lie in the world. The first lie was, you're not going to die. I, I, I was in Home Depot, which is my second home. You know, Renee said, where are at the, I'm at the second house. Oh, okay. I, I moved into a house a year ago. Next week, I think we'll be done after a year. It's just crazy. It, that, that's, that's not true. It'll never be done. I love you, Renee, but it, it'll never be done. That's why Bridget Netto's got paint all over her fingers. That's why I got stain on my hand. It, it'll never, it's just what it is, okay? So I go to Home Depot, and there's a guy who works at Home Depot. And I, I said, sir, could you help me? He said, oh, don't get any closer to me. I'm going to die. I don't want to die. And I said, I got news for you, old timer. We're all going to croak one of these days. He didn't like my answer. It's the biggest lie. You, 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 you're surely not going to die. Really? There's only two guys that I know got out of here without, not even Jesus got out of here without dying. People, people brush it off. And say, it's just semantics. You're just fussing about words. It's not a big deal. Well, let me explain to you. Let me show you how my brain works here. Around 570 AD, the prophet Muhammad was born. Just do your homework. This is when the Holy Roman Catholic Church went on a rampage. And were killing entire cities who would not embrace the Trinity. They killed 10 times as many Christians as Hitler did the Jews. Why? Because they wouldn't embrace the Trinity. I, I have a dear friend who watches this thing faithfully. His name is Edwin Harper. One of the greatest Bible preachers and teachers I've ever met in my entire life, Edwin Harper. Joe Manchin, who's in the, the paper all the time, He's the guy that's been resisting this $3 trillion build it back better thing from Uncle Joe. Joe Manchin is a Democrat, but the Democrat Party hates him because he said, we're crazy to go in debt like this. Joe Manchin was the governor of West Virginia. He's now the senator from West Virginia. But when Joe Manchin resigned, he tagged my friend Edwin Harper to be the next governor of West Virginia. And he said, it's a done deal. I've got the money in place. I've got the backing. You can have the job. Would you take it? And he said, God didn't call me to be a governor, Joe. God called me to be a preacher. I, I heard a story about a guy named John Knox. John Knox was a famous evangelist many years ago in Scotland and Wales. And the king of England tried to kill him for many years. But right before he died, the king of England asked for John Knox to come to his bedroom. 
And when John Knox came into the King of England's bedroom and knelt down, he said, John Knox, I'm a king. God called you to be a preacher. Whatever you do, don't ever stoop to be a king. My friend Edwin Harper is an amazing guy and it was a bucket list for him. He wanted to take his family to Rome. And he told me recently, they were in Rome in the Colosseum. Right across the street from the Colosseum is the Arch of Titus. There are over 70 arches in Rome, but the Arch of Titus is a very special one. Because if you get up close to the relief carvings on the Arch of Titus, there in very, very graphic detail is a picture of them taking the seven-tiered candlestick from the temple in Jerusalem back to Rome as a spoil of war. This is, history admits and freely admits that Titus built the Colosseum with the gold that he plundered from the temple in Jerusalem. My friend, Edwin Harper, wanted to take his family to Rome. They're in the Colosseum and he realized where he was. He got his family together. Like me, all of his boys have been girls. And he got his three girls, their families together. And he said, I, I want to pray over you. I don't know how much longer I'm going to be alive. But I want to pray over you. Not just right now, but right here. Because you are probably standing on one of the holiest, with the exception of Calvary, this is probably the holiest site in the history of the world because over 700,000 Christians were slaughtered here as sport for the Romans. He told this story to Paul Mooney. Many of you know who Paul Mooney is or was. For years, he was the senior pastor of Calvary Tabernacle in Indianapolis. It's one of the flagship churches in the United Pentecostal Church. Calvary Tabernacle does a lot of wonderful things, but they have three major arms. There's the church proper, and then there's what's known as Calvary Christian School, which is an an beautiful school. It's it's nicest Christian school I've ever seen ever in my life anywhere. And the Bible College, Indiana Bible College, which there are young people in this room today that went to Indiana. Draylon went there. Gabby went there. Others gone there. Paul Mooney, when my friend Edwin Harper told Paul Mooney about going to the Colosseum, he said, Harold, his eyes lit up. And he said, Brother Harper, let me tell you what happened to us very recently. He said, before I retired as pastor of this church and president of the Bible school, the the minister of tourism from the nation of Turkey invited 12 seminary presidents to come to Constantinople. This is Turkey, modern day Turkey, is the piece of real estate where the seven churches of Revelation were located. And he invited these 12 seminary presidents for a personal tour from the Minister of Tourism for the nation of Turkey. He said it was fabulous But he said the day before it was to end, he was called away and he told us, my daughter is going to finish the tour. But before you think I'm giving you a second class citizen, let me explain my daughter's credentials. And he went through all of the degrees that she had received from Oxford University in England. She was very qualified, possibly even better than her dad. She brought these 12 seminary presidents into the square in the middle of Constantinople. She then asked them, is there anyone among you that baptizes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Paul Mooney was the only one that raised his hand. He told Brother Harper as he raised his hand, he could feel the snides and the jeers from the other 11 that were around him. 
Then the woman said, Constantine, when he became emperor, he called a council in a place called Nicaea, which is very close to Constantinople. He ordered all believers to be rebaptized in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. She then said, All of the Turkish believers obeyed except the believers who lived in Constantinople. They said, This is not what Timothy taught us, and it's not what Polycarp, his student, taught us. As a result of their non compliance, Constantine sent two garrisons of soldiers who slaughtered every Jesus-named believer in the city of Constantinople. The Ministry of Tourism's daughter, very with tears in her eyes, said, Gentlemen, the stones that you are standing on right now, they say the blood was over the ankles of the believers that were slaughtered right here while you're standing because they wouldn't renounce the name of Jesus in baptism. Mooney said, I squared my shoulders and looked around. Even the prophet, you know, I've dealt with Islam before. Islam, apostolic Christianity, and Judaism all hold one tenet together. Even the prophet Muhammad had enough sense to know the Lord our God is one. If you know what the Dome of the Rock is, the third holiest site in Islam, Mecca, Medina, Jerusalem. Inside of that Dome of the Rock, it says there, right out of the Old Testament, the Lord our God is one. Reacting against the Trinity, Muhammad invented a new religion called Islam. And the cornerstone of Islamic belief is that there is one God. His name is Allah and his prophet is Muhammad. It's a false religion. But if it weren't for the false doctrine of the Trinity, there would have been no Islam. And if it had not been for Islam, Muhammad Ali would have died Cassius Clay. And the famous center from the Los Angeles Lakers wouldn't be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He'd still be Lou Alcindor. And Ahmad Rashad would still be Bobby Moore. And the Twin Towers in New York City would still be standing. So don't tell me it isn't a big deal. How can you claim to know God and not know how many of them there are? The word persons is not in the Bible. One time in Hebrews 1 and 3, it said the express image of his person. I spent years in a school years ago and devoted myself to early Greek, Koine Greek, biblical Greek. The word is hypostasis, which is where you get the word presence. It also means substance, essence, and being. If you say there are three, then there's got to be three substances three essences, three beings. And if there are three beings, one plus one plus one is not one. That's Trinitarian mad, 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 mathematics. And if there are three beings, there's three gods. And if there are three gods, the angels lied, the patriarchs lied, the prophets lied, the apostles lied, the Bible lied, and Harold Hoffman is lying to you right now. But I am not lying when I tell you unequivocally, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. In Jesus' name. I'll go fast, but pitch, pitch your mental tent here with me. Just don't, don't zone out on me just yet. Because it says in Deuteronomy 32 and 30, this is Old Testament, see, this is, this is, this is, see now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God 
with me. This is the father settling the identity question. I am he, right? Here's John 8. Then said they unto him, where is thy father? Jesus answered, you don't know me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Now the son is saying he. So he is the pronoun that represents the noun father. Except you believe that I am he. The father is the he. The son is he. Now listen to John 16 and 13. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he'll guide you into all truth. Now that makes the Holy Ghost he. So the father's he. The son is he. Holy Ghost is he. And as they say in my alma mater, West Virginia, it ain't but one he. And the name of that one he is Jesus. All right, here's Isaiah. Here's Isaiah, Isaiah 48 and 17. Thus saith the Lord, thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. All right, so the Father is one. Now go to Acts 13 and verse, or Acts 3 and verse 14. But you denied the Holy One. And the, this is Peter preaching about Jesus Christ. And he calls Jesus Christ the Holy One. Now look at 1 John 2 and 20. But you have an unction from the Holy One. It's talking about the Spirit. We got a problem here because the Father said He's the only one. Jesus said He's the Holy One. Spirit says He's the Holy. There can't be a Holy Two or a Holy Three. There's just one. There's just one. A Holy One. And that Holy One's saving name is Jesus. Here's, Deut watch. Here's Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. One Lord. Acts 2.36. Therefore let, they, you know, he explained to them. That you knew the guy was in the middle cross you 50 days ago? You got any idea who that was? That was Jehovah in flesh. And when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. Peter said, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, Lord, Lord and Christ. Here's 2 Corinthians 3 and 17. Now the Lord is that spirit and where the spirit is, there is liberty. So Deuteronomy, the father says he's Lord. Acts 2, 36, Peter said Jesus is Lord. 2 Corinthians 3 says the Holy Spirit is Lord. You got a problem here if you believe that there's three. There's not three. We're talking about the same one. The same one. Here's Ephesians 4 and 6. One God and Father of all. One God and Father of all. So the Father is God, right? So here's Titus 2 and 13. Looking for that blessed hope and glorious peering of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So now it says the Son is God. Here's Acts 5. Peter, watch this. Peter, this is Ananias and Sapphira, you know, and, 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 and he's lying. He said he sold a piece of property and he's bringing that to the church. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart? Not to lie to God or not to lie to you. You're lying to the Holy Ghost. You're lying to the Holy Spirit to keep back part of the price of the land. While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart? Thou hast not lied unto God, but uh, thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. But he's very clearly said, you, you, you've lied to the Holy Ghost. So in Ephesians 4, the Father is God. In Titus 2, the Son is God. In Acts 5, Holy Spirit is God. Here's Jude, verse 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father. Okay? So the Father sanctifies you. Here's Hebrews 2.11. It said the Son sanctified you. Here's Romans 15 and 16, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Did the Father sanctify it? Did the Son sanctify it? Or did the Holy Spirit sanctify it? Let me explain to you, Jesus did it. 
Here's 2 Samuel 2 and 22. The father is the rock. 1 Peter 2 and 8. The son is the rock. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and verse 2. And they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. They did all eat the same spiritual meat. They all drank the same spiritual drink. Watch. For they drank of that spirit rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. It's, 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 it's Jesus on the rocks, okay? It's, it's, it's that, that, that's, that's what we're imbibed. That's what we're taking in here. I've asked people for years, who raised Jesus from the dead? Here's Galatians chapter one and verse one. Even God the Father who raised him from the dead. Galatians one and one. Here's Romans chapter eight and verse 11. But if the spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead. So in Galatians 101 said, Father raised him from the dead. Romans 8 and 11 said, Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. But in John 2 and verse 19, Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. So I wanna know who raised him up, the Father, Son, or the Son said, I'm gonna do it by myself or the Holy Spirit, I'm gonna do it. It it all becomes very, 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 very confusing. Listen to me carefully before we quit. This is what it says in Ephesians 4 and verse 4. There is one body and one, one spirit, capital S. You got a spirit, angels are spirits, devils are spirits, but they don't get a capital S. There's one supreme almighty spirit, right? Ephesians 4 and verse number 4. There's not a spirit of the Father, separate from the spirit of the Son, separate from the Holy Spirit. There's just one spirit. That spirit is holy, okay? Will we agree on that? That spirit created the world. But I've told you for years, there's only one legal liquid that can deal with sin, and that's blood. And Jesus said a spirit doesn't have flesh and bone, or it doesn't have flesh and blood, as you see me have. All right? If God remains spirit, he can't redeem anyone because he's got no blood. Spirit doesn't redeem anybody. The spirit adopts people, but it's the blood that redeems. You're redeemed by the blood adopted by the spirit. Are you with me so far? There's one spirit. That spirit, if he remains spirit, can't fix the problem. That spirit takes on flesh. I know that because Mary told Elizabeth, I've been, I've got, I'm with child of the Holy Ghost. So who's the father of the son? Is the father the father of the son or is the Holy Spirit, the Father of the Son. Very confusing. But if you understand there's just one Spirit, that Spirit is the Father. That Spirit is God. That Spirit took on flesh, shed that blood for the redemption of the world. That very same Spirit, which Paul said is Christ in you, the hope of glory, can now come inside of you. His Spirit bears witness with our Spirit, amen, that we are the sons of God. It's powerful, ladies and gentlemen. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, Howbeit that is not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural. And afterward, that which so natural truths teach spiritual lessons. So watch, one sun, it's got a chemical ray, it's got a light ray, it's got a heat ray. You got one atom with a proton, a neutron, an electron. You got one world with an atmosphere, a hydrosphere, a lithosphere. One man, body, soul, spirit. One government, legislative, executive, judicial. One God who is Father in creation, Son in redemption, Holy Spirit in regeneration. Amen. What does that mean? It means repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall be found with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Stand and thank the Lord with me for his word. Amen. Don't stop. Lord Jesus. This is going to be a Bible church. This is going to be a word-based church. I want you to understand it. I want you to get it deep down inside here. The Bible said, make your peace, calling, and election. Sure. Come with me. Come with me around the altar. You've listened to me long enough. Words are important, ladies and gentlemen. Words are important. I was, in a, I was outside of Heathrow Airport years ago. I was between planes and I took a little walk. I just had a little while between my next plane and I was walking down the street and I saw this sign outside of a carpenter's shop and it said, all kinds of twisting and turning done here. And I see a lot of that going on with the word. Twist it and turn it. Let's just look at it, all right? 
Ephesians 4 and 4, there's one spirit, right? John 4, 24, God is that one spirit, right? Bible. 2 Corinthians 3, now the Lord is that same spirit, not another spirit. Acts chapter 9, Saul on the road to Damascus in Syria. Who art thou, Lord? I'm Jesus. Whom thou pers- if there's only one spirit, and that spirit is God, and whether you call that spirit God or Father or Lord, it doesn't matter. The Lord is that same spirit. But what's the name? I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a grandson. I'm a pastor. That's not my name. The name of Father, Son, Holy Ghost is not Father, Son, Holy Ghost. The saved thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. And I've buried you in a lot of Bible today. And I know sometimes you just get a bunion on your brain and go, wait a minute, Pastor, I'm full, I'm full, I'm full. And I'm going, no, we got three quarts left here. And and it's running all over your mind, you know. But it's just, I'm asking you to meditate and muse and think. You got a brain? Think. Think. Discipline your mind. Think about this. Why? Why wouldn't you see the necessity of being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ is the most biblically documented doctrine in the Bible. Why fight that? Why try to figure out a way out of that? I'm speaking to somebody today. You were baptized in another way. In the book of Acts, chapter 19, there were people who were baptized by John the Baptist. That they're the original Baptist. But they were re-baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because that was the revelation for them at that time. This is the revelation for us right now. If you've never been water baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, get it done. If you want to do it today, we'll do it today. We've been baptizing as many as not more on Monday night prayer. Because what's been going on is people have been listening to the message and going home and meditating on it and saying, I got to do something. And they're calling people on the staff and saying, I want to get baptized at prayer meeting. I baptize people alone. I, and I, don't, I, I don't like crowds. I, I'm, I'm not real fond of baptizing people privately. Why? Because I think we're making a public declaration. I am identified with Jesus Christ and I am not ashamed of the gospel. And I want everybody to know I'm making a change in my life. Praying with me right now where you are. Lord Jesus, Father, we make a covenant with you around this altar that we're going to please you with our life. When I married my wife, she took my name. And you call this church your bride. The word says we are engaged. We are espoused as one to a husband, Lord. I can't imagine the, the grief, the grief that comes into you when someone is unwilling to take your name on their life. I want this church to be identified with your name. I'm asking you, God, today for that understanding, that understanding. Luke said, from the very beginning, I had perfect understanding. Your word said you opened up their understanding concerning the scripture. I'm asking you today, Lord, to push the button. You said you can open a door, and when you do, nobody can shut it. You said that when you shut things, nobody can open them. So I'm asking you to do both right now. I'm asking you to shut the door on old concepts that are non and unbiblical. I'm asking you, God, right now to open up a door of revelation in our spirit and us to realize and embrace the power of what I've tried to convey today. In the name of Jesus, these folks are going to sing. I'm asking you to sing with us. Let the whole church be in the choir. This is choir Sunday. We do it once a month, but we're asking the entire church to be in the choir right now. Sing with us. Sing with us because we're going to. I love you. God bless you.
心。